Well, uh, good morning and uh, a very, very warm welcome to you, particularly if you're here with us for the first time or you're visiting us from overseas or even if you're here with us every single week. It is great to be with you. It's great to have the body of Christ together. Today, we're going to be starting a new preaching series on what it means to be devoted. And today, we're going to be looking at what it means to be devoted to the apostles' teaching. In the coming weeks, we're going to be looking at what it means to be devoted to fellowship, to communion, and to prayer. And I want to start by asking the question of what does it mean to be devoted? I remember hearing a story of a soldier who became a Christian. And he'd been going to church for a number of weeks. He'd been pursuing Christ. Something was happening in his heart. But it just, there was just something missing. Something wasn't connecting with him. Until one day he heard a very different message. He heard a message that was calling on him to die and to give up his life. Now, I don't know exactly what was being preached on on that day, but when I heard that story, my mind immediately went to Mark 8, 34 and 35, where it says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their own cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. On hearing that message, the soldier immediately gave his life to Christ. That week, he met up with the pastor to chat through it in a bit more detail, and he said that for the first time ever, he heard something that he could really relate to and get behind. Previously, he'd heard lots of great messages about Christ's love for him, but everything seemed very safe and very comfortable. He said that when he joined the U.S. Army, he knew that he was making a decision to give up his life that he was called to be all in and fully committed to the army, even if that meant losing his life. He said that he couldn't follow a God that demanded so little of him, that was so safe and so comfortable, but he could follow Jesus. He wanted to take his life, he wanted to give his life, he wanted to take up his own cross and to follow Jesus wholeheartedly. This man understood that in order to gain the fullness of life, he had to give over his life to Jesus. So what does it mean for you and me to be devoted? It means for us to be all in. It means for us to lay down our lives, to give up our lives, and to follow Jesus wholeheartedly. Now this is a real challenge for us in our society today, isn't it? Because we are not a society that wants to commit or be devoted to anything. You know, we come from a generation where um, 50% or more of marriages end in divorce. And so as a result, most people play it safe. They don't want to commit. They don't want to put themselves in out of fear of being hurt. You know, so many younger couples today don't want to get married for this very reason. You know, people, people even struggle to commit to simple things. You know, I, um, where I work, I work at JP Morgan, and we recently had some training on how to deal with a millennial workforce. On average, a millennial workforce will want to change jobs every two years. Now, so that means you probably spend six months getting, to a, a place to a, getting someone to a place where they're actually useful and helpful. You spend a year when they get to a point where they're actually, they're actually delivering above and beyond. And you might get another year out of them, and then they want to move on and do something different. We even struggle to commit to simple things, don't we? Like plans for lunch or just going out and doing things with friends because we're always keeping our options open in case something better comes along. But the point I want to make here is that nothing and no one better will come along than Jesus. You know, if you believe that you need a relationship to complete you and fulfill you, then you're absolutely right. But it will only be found in Jesus Christ. 
Because Jesus is fully devoted to us, he asks no less that we be fully devoted to him. This is the call for every believer. Our passage in this series is Acts 2.42, where it says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. It says they devoted themselves, they gave themselves to come under the apostles' teaching. So this raises the obvious question, doesn't it? Well, what is the apostles' teaching? Is it everything taught by the apostles? Is it the writings of Paul? Well, actually, very simply put, the, the apostles' teaching is the New Testament teaching on the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is the message of the gospel. Listen to what Paul says here in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, by which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. The apostles' teaching is the gospel. It is the good news. It is what first captivated our hearts and pointed us towards Christ. And it's what continues to keep us in awe and wonder of him. When Acts 2.42 talks about the apostles' teaching, it is talking about the preaching of the gospel. And I just want to make a distinction here between preaching and teaching. Preaching is about the proclamation of the good news. It should tell us something of the gospel. It should tell us of Christ's death and resurrection. It should impact our hearts. It should do something to the very core of our beings. Teaching is about a relaying of information. You know, you could listen to someone who's a Bible teacher but isn't necessarily a preacher. But as with most churches, as with ours, preaching and teaching go hand in hand. And there's a fantastic example of this in Acts 2, where Peter is teaching the people from the prophet Joel, but he's using that to preach the gospel to them. Let me just read what he says. Uh, oh, so, so, sorry, the day of Pentecost has arrived, and the Holy Spirit is being poured out on everybody that is uh, a believer and a part of the church. There's miraculous signs that are being performed. There are people that are speaking in other languages. There is all sorts of incredible things that are happening. And there is just joy that is overflowing and bubbling out of the people of God. They are laughing and falling around. And people that are looking around think that they are drunk and they're crazy and there's something going wrong. Now Peter stands up and he addresses the crowd. And this is what he says. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show signs and wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved." You see, Peter here is teaching them from the prophet Joel, but he is using this to preach the gospel to them. 
Let's, let's read on. It says, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him. As you yourself know, this man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to a cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Now, although you and I were not there on the day of Pentecost, you can tell that Peter is just boldly proclaiming this message. He is preaching this message to them. He isn't just sat down, kind of monotone, reading this from from an old book. The apostles' teaching should create a response, and we'll go on to see that it did. It says this, When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized about 3,000 were added to their number that day. You see, the preaching of the gospel should produce a response in the heart of its listeners. For some, it might, be, it might even be anger or disgust or rejection. For others, it might, it might bring life and salvation and purpose and goodness. But it should never just produce apathy. It should cut to the heart. It should leave a response. So what is it that the preaching of the gospel should do? The most obvious and significant outcome of the preaching of the gospel is for salvation. The gospel shows us what is wrong with the human heart. It points us to Jesus, to his death and resurrection, his his giving of his life as a ransom for ours, his resurrection, his triumphant defeat of sin and death, and his grace, his salvation that isn't earned by our good works, but it was earned by the spilling of his blood for us. Jesus purchased this for us by the shedding of his blood. We should pray and believe and expect that people will get saved when they hear the message of the gospel. We should believe that the gospel is able to do what it intends to do. We should have every confidence in this message, and as a result, we should actively look to share this and bring people to come and hear the good news. This should motivate every single one of us to share the good news in our own lives, The message of the gospel is powerful. It is able to cut to the heart. You don't need to be gifted. You don't need to be a super extrovert or super confident to share the gospel. You just need to be faithful. You and I cannot save anyone, but Jesus, through the preaching and sharing of the gospel, can and will. You know, I love the the story of how Charles Spurgeon became a Christian. You know, if you don't know Charles Spurgeon, he was a famous preacher and pastor in the late 1800s. Um, he led a very significant large church in London and has written a number of books. And um, there's a really good book that he wrote called Soul Winner, which if you get a chance, is definitely worth a read. But this is his story. This is how he became a Christian. So he was walking to church. It was snowy. He was 15 years old. And as a result, he ducked for shelter into a primitive Methodist chapel on Artillery Street. An unknown substitute lay preacher stepped into the pulpit and read his text. Isaiah 45, verse 22. 
Look unto me and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God, there is none else. This is what Spurgeon had to say about his encounter with the preacher and with God. He says, he had not much to say, thank God, for that compelled him to keep on repeating his text. And there was nothing needed by me at any rate except his text. Then stopping, he pointed to where I was sitting under the gallery, and he said, that young man there looks very miserable. And he, <laughs> and he shouted, as I think only a primitive Methodist can, look, look, young man, look now. Then I heard this vision, not a vision to my eyes, but to my heart. I saw what a saviour Christ was. Now I can never tell you how it was, but I no sooner saw whom I was to believe than I also understood what it was to believe. And in that moment, I did believe. As the snow fell on my road home from the little house of prayer, I thought every snowflake talked to me and told me of the pardon I had found, for I was as white as snow. A faithful but not necessarily gifted preacher proclaimed the good news and it impacted Charles Spurgeon's life forever. And that man went on, to do, went on to do incredible things for the gospel and incredible things in our nation. The gospel saves. Let's keep telling people its message. So what should the gospel do for you and I? Those that know and love Jesus, that have followed him for maybe 20, 30, 40 years. And I've heard Christians say things like, I don't really read the Gospels much anymore. You know, I've, I've, I've heard it all before. I want to read something a bit deeper. I want to I move on to something with a bit more substance. And actually, what's really sad about that is that I actually think that sometimes those people have missed the point. Whether you've heard the Gospel a hundred times or a thousand times, you need to go on and hear it a thousand times more. You don't need to move on from the Gospels or the message of the Gospel in the New Testament. As mature and established believers, we need to hear this message again and again. Why? Because it should lead us into awe and wonder for Christ. It should remind us of the sin that we have been forgiven, the incredible grace and blessing that we have been shown, and it should produce in us a heart of worship every single time. You know, that's why as a church, more often than not, we will preach from the New Testament. And when we do preach from the Old Testament, we will look to preach that Christocentrically, meaning that we'll be looking at how do the Old Testament text point us towards Jesus and point us towards the gospel. And this is exactly what Peter did when he used the prophet Joel to teach and to show his listeners the gospel of Christ. I want to ask you a question today. Are you still in awe and wonder of God? I heard a preacher say recently that if you hear the words of Psalm 46, be still and know that I am God, and it doesn't do anything to you, it doesn't stir your heart, then you've probably lost some of your awe and wonder of him. That one small verse speaks of God's might, his power, his bigness, his sovereignty. Be still and know that I am God. We need to keep hearing, keep coming under the truth of the gospel because it shows us a greater and bigger glimpse of the fullness of God. We need to keep hearing the word, keep being drawn into the wonder of God and keep putting it into practice in our lives. Thirdly, the gospel reminds us when we forget. Now, I don't, many, I don't know how many of you are. I've got great memories or maybe you're particularly forgetful. You know, are you the sort of person that forgets where you've put your phone or your keys or... Maybe you forget, oh, there's a few over here. 
Um, and maybe you're the sort of person who forgets your plans, you're supposed to meet someone for coffee and you don't, or you, you forget an important deadline. Well, um, I, I can't say that I'm, I've got a fantastic memory, I'm rather forgetful. Um, one person in my life who is rather forgetful is my lovely wife, Hannah. Now, um, I'll tell you a little funny story. So I've got two kids, Evie and Kaylee. Uh, Evie's seven and Kaylee's three. And when Evie was a baby, um, just been born, you know how you have the regular visits from the midwives and the nurses, you know, they come over and they weigh the babies and they measure them and make sure that everything's going well and that mum's okay and all the rest. And uh, they were filling in Evie's little red book, all the little details. And the midwife turns to Hannah and says, what's the, what's the father's date of birth? And whether it was baby brain or sleep de deprivation, whatever it was, she completely froze and couldn't remember it. And to this day, there is some random made-up date of birth for me in that book. But whether you have a good memory or not, actually, when it comes to the gospel, we can all be prone of a little forgetfulness. And what I mean, what I mean by that is, or what I don't mean by that is that you forget Jesus or you forget that you're saved. But you will forget to believe its truth and apply it to your life and in your heart all the time. Let me give you a few examples. Let's say you're at work, you're chatting with a colleague, and uh, your colleague comes up to you and says, Hey, have you heard about John, the department manager? And you say, No. Well, you know he had that dinner the other week with the clients? Yeah. Well, it turns out he took a load of photos, he put it on his Facebook page, and uh, the company were fuming. He's getting, he's getting a written warning this week. <gasps> what an idiot. What an idiot. We've all been in those times, haven't we? We hear some sort of gossip, some juicy information, and our ears start burning. But in that moment, we have failed to remember or believe the gospel or apply its truth to our lives. We, we forget that we have been forgiven our sin, that it has no hold on us, and that we do not need to engage in gossip or slander because we have been saved to something better. What about this? You spend an hour and a half working on your social media post. Now, you might think that sounds ridiculous, but in the UK, we spend on average 24 hours a week on social media, a day a week on social media. So you spent an hour and a half working on your post, you've taken your 50th perfect Instagram pic, maybe you've spent an hour and a half detailing some fantastic, insightful Facebook post, and half an hour goes past, and nobody comments, no one likes it. An hour goes past, one person likes it. Five hours go past, a couple of people like it, but nobody seems to really care and you are devastated. You say to yourself, how can all of my supposed friends and family have just ignored me and rejected me like this? Don't they care? Are they even following me at all? In that moment, you've forgotten the gospel. You've forgotten that we have been made right with Christ and that we therefore have the approval of the Father himself that we don't need the approval of those around us because we have full, fullness of acceptance in God. Why would you want to accept for anything less than God's approval of you? Don't be robbed of what you already have. Let me give you a final illustration. And maybe, you've, uh, maybe you've shouted at your kids and you say, oh, I'm just such a bad parent. I mean, you, would not, you wouldn't believe the argument we have with our kids today on the way to church. I had to tell them off for praying not even joking. One of them was praying, then the other one started praying, then she started crying because she, the other one had interrupted her, and it was just, it was just crazy. 
Or maybe, maybe it's something that you've um, you failed at something, you've gotten something wrong, maybe it's uh, something at work, you've made a big mistake, and it's cost a lot of money. Maybe a sporting event, maybe you didn't come in the place that you wanted. Maybe you've given up a diet or a hobby, and as a result, you, you believe that you are a failure. You, tell, you, you say things like, what is wrong with me? What have I done? Maybe, maybe you've fallen into habitual sin again. And you go, ah, not again. How could I have done this? In that moment, when you tell yourself that you are no good, you have forgotten the gospel. If you sin and get it wrong and it leads you to condemnation, you've missed it. When we sin, God is lovingly looking to restore us, to draw us back into relationship with him. God doesn't condemn us or pour out his wrath upon us because he has already done that on Jesus in our place. Instead, he accepts us with all of our sin, all of our failings, all of our weakness, and he tells us that his grace is sufficient for us. My, my point is that we all forget the truth of the gospel. We all forget it deep down. The, that amazing grace that first captivated our hearts, that pointed us towards Christ. And so we need to keep hearing the gospel. We need to be, keep reminded of its truth and applying it in our lives. So practically, how should we respond How do we respond to the call to be devoted to the apostles' teaching? For believers, I think there's a few key things that we need to do. For believers, to be devoted to the the apostles' teaching is to be devoted to your local church. We need to hear the gospel more regularly, more than just once a week on a Sunday. Acts 2.46 tells us that the believers met daily, but Sundays are a great place to start. One thing that I've always strongly believed is that you can be a Christian and not go to church, but you cannot be a disciple. You cannot grow into the fullness of what God has for you. You need to come and be a part of the community of God and to come under the word of God and allow it to affect and change your heart more than once a week, if I'm honest. If you're a believer and you love Jesus, why wouldn't you want to be with his people and learn more about Christ? The second thing is to, res- to respond to the gospel is to be obedient to it, to allow God to break into those areas that you find tough, to seek power, the power of the gospel in your life through accountability, through prayer, through the reading of the word, through the Holy Spirit, and through the church community. Being obedient to the message of the gospel is to repent of sin, to respond quickly when we get things wrong. But it's also to live in light of the truth of the gospel, that we have been saved, that we have been made right with Christ, that we are now righteous before him, that we are sons and daughters of Christ. That truth should bring stability in our lives and security. And the third thing is to worship. The Bible commentator N.T. Wright says, the closer you get to the truth, the clearer beauty becomes, and the more you will find worship welling up within you. We need to come under the preaching of the word and keep reading our Bibles because the more we see Christ, the more beautiful he becomes and the more that worship will well up in our hearts and just pour out of us. A natural and obvious response for any believer on hearing the good news should be to worship because we are reminded of just how worthy he is. Perhaps you're here today and you're not a believer. How should you respond to the preaching of the gospel? 
what I would implore you to do is to follow Peter's instructions where he says to his listeners, he says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Repent of your sin and devote yourself to Jesus today. You know, I remember when I gave my life to Christ, I was maybe 11 or 12, and I was in Sunday school, and we were praying, and we were given an opportunity to respond to Christ. And I remember in that moment, I was praying, and I, even at a young age, I understood something of the weight of that decision. I knew that that meant giving over my life to Jesus and, and relinquishing control of it myself. And uh, thankfully, despite all the risks and worry associated with it, I decided that I was going to give my life to Christ in that moment. And actually, as I did, something quite incredible happened to me. I, I started laughing. Now, if you can just imagine the scene, this is a very formal Church of England church. We're all sat there as kids with our hands together, all sat very nicely. And if there was a kid there that was going to start laughing or causing disruption, it would have been me. And this was quite embarrassing, but this kind of laughter and joy just came upon me. It just spilled out of me. And I, I didn't really know at that point what had happened to me. And yet years later, I understood that actually in that moment I was being filled with the Holy Spirit, that I was experiencing the joy of knowing Christ, of being saved and being forgiven by him. And actually the truth is that you can know that too today. You can receive his forgiveness, his love, his grace, and join the rest of us as we turn and worship God and we thank him for all that he has done. I'm just going to end now and I'm just going to pray. I'm going to pray for those of us that are believers and then uh, afterwards, I'm going to pray for those that aren't believers. And actually, if you want to give your life to Christ today, why don't you just pray this prayer with me in just a moment. Father, I do pray for, for those of us that know you. I pray that you would help us. Lord, help us to have soft hearts. Help us to be obedient and to follow you. Help us to be in awe and wonder of the cross, of your death and resurrection, of your grace upon our lives. Father, I ask that you would just... Come and do a work in our hearts now where we need to repent, where we need to come back to you, where we need to draw closer. Would you help us to do that? And for, for those that aren't believers today, Lord, this would be my prayer and maybe it's their prayer too. Jesus, I see your death and resurrection. I see that you died on the cross to take my sin, in my, to take my sin upon yourself. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you love me. I thank you that you have forgiven me. I thank you that you can save me today. And so I turn to you and I devote my life to you, knowing that you are able to do that. Amen.